0: that um a moment ago when thomas was was praying uh for you know veterans um uh you know one of the things that you know i always want us to to, to recognize is that you guys know as a part of the we're a praetorian project church we're not a military church we've got in fact the majority of the people at our church are our civilians uh some of us uh our prior military, but we do have a lot of of military personnel here and one of the things we always want to do is just be cognizant of the fact that uh, a lot of times uh, military families go through a lot of stress, Uh, military members go through a lot of stress, the stress of deployments, the stress of of combat, of coming back from things like that. Uh, You know, It's a a pretty well-known statistic right now that on average 22 service members and veterans a day are taking their own lives uh, by suicide. Um, and so it's, a, uh, it's something. It, Brian Collison is the pastor of Pillar Woodlawn, which is one of our sister churches um, down in uh, just uh, south of us, south of Alexandria. And one of the things that Brian has uh, taken it upon himself to do is uh, it's his goal to talk, stop and talk to 22 veterans every day. Uh, and just shake their hand and, and ask them, look them in the eye and say, how are you doing? Um, now, I mean, that's a pretty pretty lofty goal, but I would that's something I would encourage. Maybe you guys, maybe it's just one. Maybe you find one service member or veteran a day and shake their hand and just look them in the eye and sincerely ask them, how are you doing? Uh, I mean, if we just did that, uh, you know, on a regular basis, um, it could, you know, you never know. You just might provide hope to somebody who's in desperate need of it right in that moment. Uh, and so uh, I know me personally, um, you know, I've uh, that's touched my life. Uh, my, my roommate took his own life while we were deployed uh, in uh, in '09. And so uh, I've you know, uh, it's real. And so make sure you encourage uh, a veteran, uh, especially this week, uh, if you see one, okay? So this morning, we're wrapping up our uh, our week of prayer emphasis, and so uh, we talked about prayer last week. This week, uh, we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 6, talking about prayer again. You know, prayer is both the easiest and the hardest thing to do in the Christian life. It's the easiest and the hardest thing to do. It's so easy that a child can do it. And yet, frustration over prayer can make a grown man cry. Prayer is so simple that a brand new believer can grasp the concept. And yet, prayer is so profound that we will never fully grasp its implications. Prayer is the easiest thing in the Christian life, and it's the hardest thing in the Christian life. One of my earliest memories of my childhood has to do with prayer. Um, I was probably about three years old and uh, I don't remember why, but I was always fascinated with thunderstorms. I was fascinated; and I still am. I, I used to want to be a, a, a tornado chaser, a storm chaser, uh, when I was a kid. And who knows? Maybe I'll do that as a hobby one day. Um, but it's just fascinating to me. I love the thunder and just the power of the wind, and the, it's just amazing to me. And so, when I was three, one day I was talking to my parents, and I told them I, you know, I wanted to see a thunderstorm. And my dad just, you know, kind of offhandedly said, "Well, then, you know, ask God." because I can't give you a thunderstorm, but, you know, God can. And so I closed my little eyes in the back seat of the car, and I prayed, dear Lord, you know, make it thunderstorm today. And uh, later on that day, I, you know, I don't remember what time it is, but later on that evening, sure enough, the sky began to light up with lightning. And before you knew it, there was a thunderstorm to end all thunderstorms that came. And it was just, you know, into my three-year-old mind, I was like, wow. Like that was awesome, you know. Like I'm like, wow, God really heard my prayers, and um, it, it made such an impact on me that I still remember it to this day. Like I remember the scene of sitting in the car and being in my car seat, and I remember the I remember the rain and the lightning. You know, we we really do overcomplicate prayer sometimes, don't we? As just as I was reflecting back on that story, I was thinking about the simplicity of just a three year old just in, in childlike faith, saying, God, I want to see a thunderstorm. And then a, a good father saying, okay. <laughs> you know, we desperately need to hear Jesus's message this morning because we, we overcomplicate prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13, which is where we're going to be, Jesus teaches us that prayer is dependence on God that comes from a pure heart. And that's really what prayer is when you boil it down. Here's why Christians in particular need to hear this message this morning. You were made to know God. Now, everybody was made to know God, but in particular, if you're a believer, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says that Christ suffered for sins once for all time, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So, like, The primary purpose of Christ dying for you and taking your sin upon himself in your place was so that you could be reconciled to God, so that you could have a relationship with him. And as we all know, one of the most important aspects of any relationship is communication, right? Prayer, all prayer is, is it's conveying a message to God. It's talking to him, right? Any relationship, if you don't talk, you're not going to have a good relationship. Prayer is also the means by which we receive everything that we need from God. God provides for us. He protects us. He sustains us. And prayer is the means by which we obtain those things from Him. So a weak prayer life is kind of like having a spiritual breathing problem. When we talked about prayers like breathing last week. So in today's passage, Jesus teaches the motives and the method of prayer. Now, some people have a weak prayer life and struggle with prayer because their motives are off. And so we're going to look at two uh, wrong motives, wrong reasons to pray first. And then others struggle to pray because they don't know how. Or they're, uh, in their praying, they're immature and they're not prioritizing their prayer life the way that God wants us to prioritize our prayer life. So we're going to look uh, at both the motives of prayer and the method of prayer. So we'll see how, in other words, we're going to see two ways not to pray, and then Jesus is going to show us the right way to pray in verses 9 through 13. Now, maybe you're here today and you are skeptical about prayer. Maybe you're a Christian, uh, maybe you're agnostic, maybe you don't know what you believe, maybe you're not a believer at all, and you'd say, I'm just not sure what I think about prayer, I don't know if I buy it. I want you to consider the possibility that maybe this whole time you've been going about prayer all wrong. I just want you to be open to that possibility this morning. Maybe there's another way to pray. Maybe the way Jesus instructs us to come to God in prayer is radically different than anything else that you've ever tried. And so that's what I want to encourage you this morning to just be open to. Okay. My prayer for you this morning is that you will come into a new relationship with God, one that you have never had before, and that you'll discover the joy of a relationship with your Creator, of being able to talk to God, kind of like the, the just the pure joy of a three-year-old being able to talk to his Creator and He hears him. So let's read the passage, and let's learn from Jesus how to pray. Matthew chapter six, verses five to thirteen. This is the Word of God. Jesus says, "And when you pray." God, I thank you uh, for the privilege of prayer. I thank you, Jesus, that you teach us how to pray right here in this passage. Um, Lord, I pray that we would all be attentive to your word this morning, that we would humble ourselves before your word and that we would learn from you today. I pray that you would help me, Lord, as I teach. God, apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, I don't have anything to offer anybody in this room. It's your word that changes hearts. It's your word that instructs us. So I pray that you would empty me and that you would fill me with your spirit and that you would help me just to teach what we see in this text. Help me to... Uh, to rightly divide the word of truth. Help me to present this text in such a way that people will be able to, to hear from you and learn how to pray, learn how to have an intimate relationship with you. God, that's my desire for every person in this room is that they would taste and see that the Lord is good, that they would that they would see Jesus, that you are better, that you are greater than anything else and that they would long to spend time with you, that they would long to spend time in your presence in prayer, that they would know, God, the privilege that they have with prayer because of the blood of Jesus, which has opened up the way into the Holy of Holies, which has opened up the way for us to be able to come into your presence and make our requests known to you, and that you receive us like a father receives his child. God, please, please, I pray if there's anybody in this room that's not born again, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would clearly hear the gospel of God and that they would believe and that they would leave this room a changed person, and new creation. God, please do it. Please help. We'll pray this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So the first thing Jesus shows us, this first point on your outline is he shows us the first reason uh, or how not to pray. How not to pray? The first way we shouldn't pray is we should not pray to try to impress others. Don't try to impress others. That's what Jesus teaches in verses 5 to 6. So he first warns us against praying so that other people can see us, to draw attention to ourselves. So pious Jews in Jesus' day would make a show of their praying to make sure that people noticed how religious they were. Now Jesus is not saying here that you should never pray in public because Jesus prayed in public and all throughout the Bible we see public praying. I think about Daniel uh, in the book of Daniel he would pray uh, in his home in front of the window three times a day and he got thrown into a lion's den because of it so that wasn't it wasn't exactly earning him like bonus points with society right Today, If you pray in public, you are much more likely to be ridiculed than respected. It's not something that people are going on the street going to go, wow, look at that guy. Wow, he's impressive, right? We get nervous about doing things like praying in public because we're afraid of what? We're afraid we're going to get ridiculed. So Jesus is talking about a heart issue here. He's, He's talking about why are you praying in public? Why are you praying in front of people? He's talking about the hypocritical nature of someone who pretends as if they are seeking to glorify God when they are really seeking glory for themselves. They pray to keep up appearances. They don't have much time to pray in secret because who's there to admire them when they're in their home by themselves? But they'll pray in front of others because there's others there to see them doing it. They make sure to draw attention to themselves at the church or at the restaurant or wherever. Now, a good way to examine yourself here is just to ask yourself the simple question. Are you praying more in public than you do in private? Do you pray more in public than you do on your own in the secret place? If you don't make time for secret prayer, but you're quick to pray publicly, what that might tell you about your motives is that they're off. So I'd encourage you to be honest with yourself. Like, are, are, you, uh, you know, is, are you just finding it hard to make time to pray in private, um, but you're quick to be the first one to speak up in the prayer meeting at the church or something like that? Ask yourself, why is that? Why am I doing that? The people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good have fallen in love with Jesus. They want to be rewarded by the Father more than they want the praise that comes from man. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the reward that we get from the Father? What is that reward? Well, He gives us more of Himself because He is the one who satisfies us. Jesus is all that we need. Yes, this also includes answers to prayer. We're rewarded with answers to prayer, but the primary thing that we're rewarded with is that we get... God. One of the many reasons that you should have daily alone time with God is that it keeps prayer from becoming something you do just to keep up religious appearances. Prayer, remember I told you last week, is not uh, first and foremost about uh, getting an answer from God, about receiving a request. It's about a relationship, right? It's about your fellowship with God, We ought to pray publicly. It's good to pray publicly, but public prayer is fueled by private prayer. Luke 5.16 says that Jesus frequently withdrew to desolate places to pray. He needed to be alone with the Father so that he would have strength to carry out his ministry. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we? Like, do we really think that we can get away with, with not frequently withdrawing to private places to pray when Jesus didn't even try to do that? And uh, in my first, the first house that we lived in in Canada, uh, it was like this big um, town home uh, that uh, was a missions home. And I had a literal closet, like they had a walk-in closet, and me and Jen were still pretty newly married, and we don't ha- we didn't have that much stuff, and so I was able to like actually make a literal prayer closet, and that's where I would go to have my time, and, and I just had a room, and today uh, I don't have the luxury of being able to do that, uh, but today it's my office or it's it's downstairs, and I and I try to get up at 5:15. Note the word try; it doesn't happen every single day. So, um, but you know, I try to get up at 5:15 when it's still quiet, uh, when Uh, You know, everything's quiet outside. Uh, Jen definitely doesn't like waking up at 515. So it's just me. And I I try to find a quiet, secret place to pray. Where and when will you go to set aside time for secret prayer? Do you have a place that you go? I'd encourage you to to find a, a specific place in the home that you can go to. Um, it, you know, it, it might not be perfect You might not have a prayer closet That you, you can actually make But maybe it's just a certain seat Maybe it's a certain time of day That you need to set aside When you know that there's not a lot uh, going on uh, You might need to wake up earlier Maybe you need to go take a walk A daily walk And you can pray as you're just taking a walk uh, I love the, the story of Susanna Wesley uh, John Wesley's mother uh, She raised ten children In a small parsonage Uh, So, like, their homes were not nearly as big as our homes are today. It was like, you know, so you got ten kids running around in one room, basically, okay? Now, try maintaining a personal devotional life with that, right? But she did. She spent two hours a day in prayer and in the Word. And what she would actually do is she had an apron... And she would literally sit down in the chair and pull the apron overhead and make herself like a little tent. And all the kids knew when mom went under the apron, you did not mess with her. That was her time with the Lord and they knew better or there would be, they would, there would be a reckoning if they interrupted. And so they just knew they did not mess with her. And so she spent, she would just spend time in prayer and reading the word. And the kids would keep quiet. And some of you are probably thinking, "I don't. My kids would never leave me alone for two hours." And I know it was probably partly supernatural. I'm not sure how she did it. We'll have to ask her when we get to heaven. But there's the point is, is that look, we we will make time and find a way to do the things that we prioritize that really matter to us. It's going to look different for everybody. Uh, you know, not you know, God's. I'm not saying that moms, you need to find a way to. You know, spend two hours straight in the Word and in prayer with your kids running around the room. Um, but we, we will make time for what's important to us. And, and uh, just as an aside, too, to this, parents, moms, dads, don't underestimate the impact that you will have on your children by doing things like that. Don't underestimate the impact it will have on your family, specifically on your children, as they watch you do things like set aside time to pray every single day. Set aside time in the Word. As you do that in front of them, I promise it will leave a lasting impact. And if you want your children to grow, to know, and to love, and to follow Jesus, that's one of the best things that you can do to help enable that. Amen? Now, it's this private meeting with God uh, that keeps us from the hypocrisy of try, of praying to try to impress man but there's also uh, another false motive that we can take and Jesus tells us about that in verses 7 and 8 he says when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do for they think they will be heard for their many words so the second wrong motive Jesus addresses is the attempt to impress god And he's referring here to to pagans that mindlessly repeated chants and the names of their God to get them to answer. Jesus says they think they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus is implying when he says that, that their prayers will not be heard because they think they will be heard for their many words. They won't. God does not answer prayer based upon our performance or our righteousness. Um, This is one of the things that makes prayer in the Bible distinctly uh, unique from every other type of religion. Um, Islam, for example, has the five pillars uh, and uh, part of uh, the uh, Islamic religion is that you need to keep the five pillars and one of those pillars is Salat or Salah, which is prayer. Uh, And essentially it's uh, a prayer uh, ritual that needs to be performed five times a day, uh, and there's, spe- there's a specific uh, way that you do it. There's a body positioning. Uh, there's specific words that you recite, depending on the time of day it is. And basically, the more faithfully you keep that pillar along with the other four pillars, the more likely it is that uh, Allah will accept you into paradise. But even if you keep it perfectly, there's still no guarantee that you'll get into paradise because Muhammad himself said that he couldn't even say for sure whether Allah would accept him into paradise. So my, my point in presenting that as an example is not to pick on Islam. It's to show you that prayer like that is, is mechanical, It's formulaic, and it's impersonal. Jesus says in verse 8, don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. Listen to his reason why, though. This is fascinating. He says, do not be like them for... Now, he's about to give us... When you see that word for, it means he's about to give us the reason. Do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus gives a completely different way to pray that is a unique privilege for Christians. For Christians, prayer is not a formula lifted up to an impersonal deity. It's a conversation with a person. Prayer isn't something that we do to curry favor. Prayer is possible because we already have favor. Prayer is lifted up to our Father who cares about what we need and knows what we need already. Let me show you why why trying to impress God in prayer really doesn't work. Do you know what you would get if you actually got what you deserved from God? Romans 6.23 tells us. It says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we would get if we actually got what we were owed. God is holy. He does not take bribes. A holy God doesn't say, well, you certainly deserve death, but tell you what, You say your prayers for a few weeks straight and we'll call it even. That's not justice. That's not a holy God. God is is not going to do that. You and I are deserving of death and judgment and that is exactly what is coming for every single person who is unrighteous. If you're honest this morning, you know that's a big problem. So how is it possible that instead we're treated like children that can come to A father. It's because God treated his son like his enemy. Jesus, the sinless son of God, came to die on the cross to take the judgment for our sin. And he rose from the dead three days later, overcoming death in the grave, demonstrating that he has power over death. He has resumed his throne in heaven And he's coming back again to establish his kingdom and to judge the living and the dead. Everyone who turns from their sin and who trusts in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins. They're no longer counted as a foe, but as a friend of God. And We receive eternal life and we can come to God in prayer in Jesus' name. And we are heard, our prayers are heard as if Jesus himself is making those requests. Because we're no longer getting what we deserve, he gives us what Jesus deserves. There's a huge difference between prayer in Jesus' name, between prayer in Christianity and in any other religion. Do you see that? It's not just pagans, non believers, that try to impress God, Christians do it too. Just look back at verse 7. And insert a different phrase. Verse 7 says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. So let's, let's insert some, some different uh, things in there. It's, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because their mind doesn't wander after five minutes. Who think they'll be heard because they have a qu- consistent quiet time. Who think that they'll be heard because they prayed for a long time this morning. Who think they'll be heard because they didn't give in to that habitual sin earlier today. Who think that they'll be heard because they sound like those other seasoned Christians and they use big theological words when they pray. I mean, we all know that sounds silly when we say that, but don't we operate that like that sometimes? We think we'll be heard if we do this or this or this. Jesus says, don't pray like that. Uh, Paul Miller, I uh, told you about his book last week. He wrote a book called uh, A Praying Life, and he says in that book, he says, oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying, not on God. Are, when you pray, are you focusing on praying or are you focusing on God? Stop looking at your performance and fix your eyes on the cross where the love of God for you has been demonstrated. That's why he answers prayer. Now, we've looked at the wrong motives and the wrong way to pray, but what's the right way to pray? How ought we to pray? Well, first, we need to remember the person that we're talking to. We need to remember who we're talking to. Verse 9 Jesus begins to unfold the right way to pray, how we ought to pray. And that prayer starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Christians should pray in a posture of submission and trust, not in an effort to impress others or impress God. We come to God in prayer with submission because he's in heaven and we're not. We acknowledge that he is in heaven and he is the impressive one, not us. And we come to God in prayer and childlike trust because He's our Father. We don't need to try to impress Him so that He'll listen to us. He's already listening to us. We're already adopted. Don't pass over that first line in the Lord's Prayer whenever you read it. Linger over that. Think about what you're saying when you say, Our Father in Heaven. I mean, think about what you're saying when you say, Our Father in Heaven. You're praying... you're, you're saying, I'm praying to my father who created everything that I can see. And he loves me as if I'm his own son. Like, that's who I'm praying to. It's so important that you acknowledge that and recognize that before you enter into prayer. So we need to remember the person that you're talking to. Secondly, you need to prioritize the kingdom our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why should we prioritize the kingdom of God? What are we actually praying for here when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done? What does that even mean? When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for Christ to be formed in us both personally and in our church. Jeff Christopherson, uh, who's a church planter and uh, an author said, the kingdom of God is what happens when Jesus gets his way. I think that's a pretty cool kind of synopsis of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is what happens when Jesus gets his way. So we're praying for Jesus to have his way in our lives and in our church. And what is what is Jesus' way in our lives? What does that look like? What does Jesus want in us? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Jesus' will for his followers is that we would be like him, that we'd be holy. This is God's highest priority for you and I. Without holiness, we cannot enter into God's presence. So God intends to make us holy, and we should share that desire. You should be praying this over your own life, and you should also be praying this for your brothers and sisters in Christ. One of my favorite prayers uh, is from Philippians chapter one, verses 9 to 11. and I use this passage when I'm praying for, for the other people in our church. Uh, it says Paul says, "It is my prayer that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God." My prayer that you would be blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to pray that in your, over your own life. Pray that over the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's, that's one of the things that, we're, that we mean when we pray, your kingdom come. But it's not the only thing that praying for God's kingdom to come means. Because when we pray, your kingdom come, we're also praying for the future restoration of all things. There's an already and a not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not fully consummated because there are still aspects of creation that have not submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Now, Christians are a part of the kingdom of God because we've sworn allegiance to Jesus. We have said, I am following Jesus, he is my king. I'm going to obey him, I'm going to follow him. I'm not my own anymore. But the day is coming, Philippians 2 says, when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for that day to come. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 describes that day. It says that death will be no more, neither will there be crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says... Behold, I am making all things new. On that day, evil and all causes of sin and all lawbreakers will be expelled from God's kingdom, and everything and everyone will be subject to Jesus. Let me just step aside for a moment to urge you, if you have not surrendered to Jesus, to do so while there is still time. On the day of Jesus' return, friends, it will be too late. It will be too late. I can't say it any plainer than this Judgment Day is coming, and every single person stands condemned apart from Jesus Christ. Everyone. Everyone in this room. You can resist that. You can suppress that truth. You can pretend that it's not there. But that day is coming quicker than you can imagine. And when it's here, it will be too late. That's why you ought to not put off this decision to trust in Jesus any longer. You ought to do so today. In fact, I would plead with you to do so today. Don't wait. Trust in Jesus. Jesus is the ark. There is a flood coming, and it's God's righteous judgment on sin. It's coming, and Jesus is, is, the, is the ark. He's provided salvation. Faith is the door into the ark. All you've got to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ, and you will be forgiven of your sins, and you're safe from the flood. In fact, not only are you safe, you're adopted into God's family. But if you choose to resist God, and you choose to continue to be hostile to Him, and you can choose to continue to be His opponent... And to resist His rule and reign in your life, you are setting yourself up against the God of the universe. Don't do that. Why? Why would you do that? Humble yourself this morning and be saved. Come to Him for refuge. You know, to be able to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it, it, it takes humility to pray that prayer. Just think about what Jesus is telling us to say here. He's telling us to say, God, I want you to receive all the adoration. And I want you to have your way, even if it cuts against the grain of what I want. Because you're the king and I'm not. That's countercultural, right? That's not the spirit of the age at all. In fact, out of the six specific petitions that Jesus gives in the Lord's Prayer, three are for our needs, but the first three are centered on God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Does that reflect your prayer life, Christian? That's what I want to ask you. Does that reflect your prayer life? Are your prayers centered first and foremost on the kingdom of God, on God's name being hallowed? All this is not to say that we shouldn't pray for our needs. In fact, the next three petitions in the Lord's Prayer are exactly that. They are petitions for our own needs, and God wants us to pray for those things. We ought to, and this is the last point in the outline, we ought to petition like a child. He, he, he calls us to petition like a child. There are three primary things that children need, that children cry out for, and there's three primary things that Jesus uh, tells us to ask him for. Children pray, provide for me, pardon me, and protect me. Provide for me, pardon me, and protect me. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for me. God cares about your daily needs, even the little ones. This isn't just referring to to food, but to all of our needs. Many people spend a lot of time worrying and fretting over the details of their life, like their bills or their careers or relationships or car trouble or whatever it might be. Later on in chapter 6, Jesus is going to say, don't be anxious about those things. Your father already knows what you need before you ask. God will give you what you need if you ask. Now, keep in mind, Jesus does say, give us this day our daily bread. So God gives us what is needed for today. You wouldn't give an 11-year-old a five-year advance on his allowance, would you? Because 11-year-olds are not exactly known for their infinite wisdom, so we don't entrust that much money to them up front, right? So what do we do? We give them their daily bread. We give them what is needed for today because we're taking care of them. That's what the Father does with us. God knows what we need better than we do. He's going to give you what you need. It's not always what you want, but you can go to him in prayer. And sometimes he will just give you what you want, like when a three-year-old prays for a thunderstorm, just because he wants to show you that he loves you. Provide for me, and then secondly, pardon me. Pardon me. Jesus says, pray pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. One of the best promises in the Bible is in 1 John 1, 1.9. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This doesn't mean that we need to get resaved or, or saved again every single time that we sin. That's not what Jesus means here. Justification for believers is finished. The moment you're born again, you place your faith in Christ, you're justified. That's done. It is finished. But we regularly pray for forgiveness because repentance isn't a one-time act. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is not a one-time act. It's a lifestyle. Sin won't damn a Christian who has been saved, but it can hinder fellowship with God. Let me give you an illustration. My wife and I are married, and we've made a covenant with one another till death do us part. If I lash out at her in anger, it's not going to end our marriage, but it will harm our fellowship, won't it? Until I do what? Till I ask for forgiveness? Till I humble myself and, and say, "Honey, I was wrong. I should not have acted that way. I should not have said the things that I said." And and we reconcile. It doesn't mean that you know, like our marriage is over or something, because I, I do that. But it's the same way with, with our relationship with God believer. You know, if you uh, go and you sin, and you know it, and it's been brought to your attention, doesn't mean that you're not saved, doesn't mean that you're not born again, but that disruption that you feel, that conviction that you feel, that uneasiness, it's a disruption in your relationship with God, but all you've got to do is what First 1 John 1, 1.9 says, go and confess your sins to him, and he's faithful and just to forgive you every single time. There's never going to be a time where he's going to say, nah, eh, that's too many chances. You're done. He's not going to do that. Jesus, Jesus says, you know, when, uh, when the disciples asked them, hey, how many times should uh, we forgive somebody if they've sinned against us? Seven times, thinking they're pretty impressive, like well, J- like Jesus will be impressed. Wow, Peter, seven times, times—it's pretty awesome. Jesus says, no, no, 70 times seven, which was a way back then, the number seven was the number for perfection. And so it's, an, it's, a way of, it's a hyperbolic way for Jesus to say infinite, infinite times. Never stop forgiving, even if they go to you over and over and over again for the rest of your life and commit the same thing. And that's the way that God treats us. The result of experiencing God's grace is that it moves us to forgive others. Verses 14 and 15, we didn't read them today, but they make it clear that if we can't find it within ourselves to forgive others, it means that we haven't truly been forgiven ourselves. We don't understand forgiveness ourselves. Grace changes you into a gracious person. So let me just encourage you in two ways. First of all, uh, if there's something hindering fellowship with God in your life, then go to him today and seek his pardon. Ask him for forgiveness. And he'll forgive you. And secondly, if there's somebody that you need to forgive, then you need to do that. If there's somebody that you've been holding a grudge against, that you've been you know, upset with, that you haven't made things right with, let me encourage you to go and make things right today. I mean, God has freely given you grace, so you ought to freely extend that same grace to others. Amen. Okay, lastly, Jesus tells us to pray, Protect me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is talking about protection, especially spiritual protection. Jesus isn't telling us to pray that God never lead us into difficult situations. He's not saying that God's never going to allow us to be tempted. While God himself never does the tempting, he can and will lead us into, some, into, tempta- into situations where we will be tempted. We see the Spirit of God lead Jesus into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, where he's tempted. But the Spirit of God also sustained Jesus and delivered him from evil in the wilderness. The reality is we're surrounded by temptation all the time. Every single waking moment, there is temptation to sin. Right now, uh, some of you may be tempted to think about football while you're pretending to listen to the sermon. Uh, I, could be tempted to, I could be tempted to preach so that I can receive the approval of all of you guys instead of for the glory of God. There's temptations everywhere we look, even in church. So what Jesus is teaching us to pray here is, Lord, please don't let me fall into temptation. Please don't let me be overcome by temptation. Don't let me be overcome by evil. I don't want to give in to that which displeases you. Protect me. Perhaps you're in a place in life where you're being tested. Maybe your faith is being stretched because things aren't going well in your life. Or you're in a period of transition. Maybe the battle against lust is raging in your life right now and you feel powerless to overcome it. You might just be feeling yourself split into spiritual complacency right now and you just are having a hard time praying, reading your Bible, and you don't know why. What should you do? Pray. <laughs> Help me. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Guys, we're in the midst of a spiritual war. And one of the best recourses we have is we can go directly to the Father and ask Him for help. And He'll help us. You just got to ask for it. You've got to ask for it. God is faithful. Jesus wouldn't tell us to pray like this if God did not intend to answer these prayers, if He did not want to. So if you'll go to Him, He'll help you. And we've talked about the motives of prayer this morning, talked about the wrong ways to pray, and then we've talked about how to pray Jesus's way. We don't pray to impress people or to impress God, but instead we pray with a posture of submission and trust. I want us to uh, just conclude our week of prayer by putting into practice the method of prayer uh, that Jesus has given us in the Lord's Prayer. So, to close out our time together, I'm going to ask uh, Carrie to come up uh, and to play. And I just want you guys, uh, for a couple of minutes, to break up into groups of four or five. And we're going to spend some time uh, praying. The prompts behind me, uh, the Lord's Prayer, are there. And just pick one or two of those uh, and, and and pray along those lines. So you may pray uh, for God's kingdom to come, or you may pray uh, for forgiveness of sins, Or for protection from evil, you can just pick one or two of those. Uh, You don't have to pray. If you're not comfortable praying out loud, then you don't need to do that, um, only if you're comfortable. Um, But why don't you guys go ahead and group up into groups of four or five. We're going to pray for a couple minutes, and then Carrie's going to close us uh, with a song of praise.